Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to another Viper Week podcast episode. We are back on Auto Week, reading an article that says as follows, saying goodbye to the Dodge Viper with a V10-powered road trip. The Viper isn't wasn't just a car. It's a manifesto. The article was written by Graham Kozak. Let's get into it. Long after sundown on a quiet stretch of I-65 an hour or so north of Nashville, an RX-8 materializes in the rearview mirror. The guy wants to race. No real surprise there. It's the kind of thing you come to expect when you're driving a Viper. More so when that Viper is the street-legal race version, the ACR, what with its towering rear wing, ground-scraping front arrow, semi-slick tires, and particular brand of large displacement attitude. By design, any Viper makes a very unsubtle statement, one which must from time to time be backed up with action, if only to uphold the reputation of the good people back in Detroit who hand-built the thing. The Mazda is decidedly non-stock, its rotary wails and its tailpipe spit flames. But even before I drop to third gear, wind up the V10, and punch a viper-sized hole in the darkness, its driver has to know there is no way in hell he has the faster car. No, he just wants to see what the Dodge can do. There are two kinds of people out there. Those who appreciate the Dodge Viper, and those who don't understand it. That was as true in late 1991 when the first generation of the unlikely production hot rod emerged as it is of the fifth generation, or third phase, depending on how you break it down, car today. The RX-8 driver gets it. So does the guy in the Challenger 392, and whoever is driving that new Stingray, and all of the people on my 1,200-mile drive from Detroit to Nashville and back who either want to race or nearly drive off the road with astonishment and excitement when they see me slicing through interstate traffic like a predator. The Viper has always been a special, difficult car. Did its front mid-mounted V10 rear-wheel drive and manual-only setup make sense when the model was first conceived, nearly three decades ago, as a sort of Shelby Cobra successor? Tough to say. The configuration was certainly archaic by the time this, the present, and for the foreseeable future, final version debuted in 2012, but that's the way it had to be. To have done it any differently would have been to lose what made the car extraordinary. It wouldn't have been a Viper. Disclaimer. I've never driven one of these of any vintage on a track. I do know that in the right set of hands, the Viper ACR is faster than just about anything else on four wheels. Look to a privateer team's 7-minute 1.3 second Nürburgring run earlier this year, plus a baker's dozen records at domestic tracks for proof. I will never set any lap time records in a go-kart, let alone a monster like this, but I've always appreciated the idea of the Viper. What started as a halo car became a sort of middle finger to the rest of the world. It's a manifesto. This is the way it's done in Detroit. Deal with it. The Viper experience is not for everyone. It's best described as visceral if you're in a chari charitable mood, crude if you're not. When you hit the starter button and all 8.4 liters of that V10 sputter and boom to life, the car rocks slightly, side to side. That engine may drone a bit while loping along in 6th gear on the highway, but that's its way of reminding you that it doesn't peak 
at 645 horsepower until 6,200 RPM. The chassis is rigid and the suspension wonderfully direct, which is another way to say that the setup reveals every bump and groove beneath it. You have to reconfigure yourself mentally, and to an extent physically, to accept the car as it is or you're simply not going to have a good time with it. If the seats get uncomfortable after long stints, even with, as on this car, a GTS package that adds a more luxurious interior than your standard issue ACR, be thankful that it doesn't get better fuel economy and stretch out and stretch it out when you stop for gas. In its fifth generation, the Viper finally got traction control and stability control, which is less of a surrender to the nannyism than you might think. Despite its surprisingly mild manner, when you drive even semi-sensibly, the Viper can snap quickly if you get too comfortable and push it beyond the threshold of balance. At times, it can get downright scary, but this sense of lurking danger adds a certain savor to the experience. Maybe I'm wrong to enjoy that. You'll miss it though, when cars are sold without steering wheels. Something we're starting to see all too quickly today. In any case, those Kumho ACR tires are useless in the rain. Think of their grooves as more of a suggestion of treads than in actuality and you've got the idea. There are a few white knuckle moments and driving back to Detroit, I have to pull over to let a thunderstorm pass. When was the last minute you felt compelled to do that in a new car? But the Viper isn't a new car, at least not spiritually. It's all of the best parts about a classic Grand Tour zapped into the present. Or maybe it's a vintage muscle car that's been taught to handle. Maybe in true hot rod fashion, it's some combo of the hottest, most essential bits of everything. And while the Viper badge speaks for itself in and around Detroit, I am floored to meet Nashvillians who don't even know what the thing is. It doesn't help that this generation of Vipers suffered an identity crisis. Recall that, for a time, it dropped the Dodge badge in favor of a standalone SRT nameplate. The Vipers' ostensible competitors, depending on how you look at it, the Mercedes-AMG GT, the Nissan GTR, even the Chevrolet Corvette Z06, may do certain things better or for a lower price. Even Dodge's own Hellcats have it beat in the horsepower wars. But the Viper isn't about power above all nor was it ever supposed to be a slick, titty toy designed for the clinical delivery of speed. It is a demanding, rewarding, multi-sensory experience built to order by hand by skilled workers in an old factory at the northern edge of Detroit. There is effectively nothing else to compare it to. Now that the Viper is dead, the elegies flow, opinion pieces praising its analog brutality and its Motor City bona fides, market analyses trumpeting its prospects as a future collectible. They are belated, though correct. Read it here first. The Viper was and is good. Cars like it are too few and far between to go unsung. A neighbor recently took delivery of his Viper. It must have been one of the last cars off the line, which has since gone quiet. Sometimes when I hear him rumbling down the street, I stop what I'm doing and run to catch a glimpse. Like a kid running for the ice cream truck, his Viper with its TA 2.0 package is subtler than the ACR, but still impossible to miss. Painted the bright yellow of lane markers. It's a car I'd love to own, but I've never felt even a tinge of envy. It's his car, and I am content that he has it and appreciates it. That there are at least two of us on the block that really get it.
the biggest thing I want to point out with this article is near the end how he something that I've said for a long, long time. Every time the Viper is about to die or it's ruined it's about to die, then all the auto journalists, they come out of the woodwork saying, oh no, it was actually a good, tar good car. Sorry, tar? It's a good car. We're going to miss its visceral, raw character. Yada, 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 yada. Yet, when the Viper was new, when it was around, you constantly complain. Crude interior. It's hot. It's cramped. It's blah, 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 blah. All the usual Viper talking points, right? And here's the thing. It's not even that they're necessarily wrong. But they, they always focus more on those aspects of the car than what you sacrificed in those regards for what you got. A visceral, raw, connected, driving experience that is hard to come by in the major automotive world, even back then and especially now. That's what this author gets so, so right. The Viper was and is good. You go back, this is something I said in another, if it hasn't, gone up yet this is something i said in another viper week episode if you go back through old old viper reviews they very rarely talked about oh the interior is cramped or it's hot or it's or it's whatever they did mention it but what they focused on more was the performance how visceral it was visceral it was how raw it was how connected you felt how much of an experience driving the viper was that's what they talked about and even for the all, you know, the out and out numbers side of performance, they even talked about that and how the Viper measured up. And then all of a sudden, nope, usual Viper talking points and oh, you know, it's this and that, but it's hot, it's cramped, it's it's this and that, right? All the usual, as I said, Viper talking points that Viper fans like me have heard for decades now. But this Viper, this Viper, this I say this Viper, this author gets it and they get it right. It was and is good. It does have flaws, especially, you know, Gen 1 through 4. A bit cramped. The materials weren't all there, but you got an experience unlike any other car in the, in the major automotive industry. And by major, major automotive industry, I mean Lamborghini, Ferrari, Porsche, the like. Even, even the Corvette, even the 4GT couldn't offer an experience exactly like the one you got in the Viper. Because they were different cars, especially with the Corvette appealing to a different group of people. So thank you, Graham Kozik. A solemn thank you from me for saying what, for writing down what I've been saying for years. As soon as the Viper's rumored to die, then you all get misty-eyed about it going, how you're going to miss it and blah, blah, blah. But when it was around, sometimes you had a tendency to focus on the bad more than the good. And not that, there, not that it was all good. Of course it wasn't. No, very few cars are. But everything you complain about Everything you complain about modern cars not having were there in spades in the Viper. But that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. That's, that's the way life be. Anyway, though, I hope you all enjoyed this Viper Week episode. If you did, please make sure to like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, then please like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do actually subscribe, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Please make sure you hit the little notification bell and then all notifications. That way you're notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have or want the Podbean mobile app, here's a simple solution. Boot up wherever you get your podcast before you set off and then type in Cody's Car Conundrum and choose the episode you want to listen to. I will see you all next time. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars if I'm being honest. 
If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.